Welcome to the Fundraising Freedom Podcast with Mary Baloney. I'm your host, Mary Baloney, and this is the place where fundraisers come to be encouraged, empowered, and educated on how to raise more funds and have more freedom. Today, we're going to be talking about virtual events, events, live events, <laughs> all that good stuff with my guest today, which is Wendy Freeman. And Wendy is the founder and CEO of, an, of a business called Be Bright Events. And Wendy has worked in the for-profit space and she's done a lot of work in the nonprofit space as well. And I just, just to give you guys a good idea of what she does, she's got over 15 years of experience and she's planned events, conferences, workshops, retreats, masterminds for groups that are anywhere from about 12 people all the way up to 700 people. And their budgets range anywhere from about $1,000 to a $1 million. And they've even generated income of $6 million in revenue. So I am thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit more about you and the work that you do today. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I, I did event planning in the corporate space for a little over 15 years and started my own business really because I wanted to focus more on organizations that were making an impact in people's lives. And so, you know, today it's both in person. Well, today it's not in person. I started my business with the intent of in-person events and have since pivoted to virtual events, which has actually been really great because you're able, you know, for me planning events for organizations and entrepreneurs who are making an impact, there's such a broader reach. So we've been able to raise even more funds. We've been able to reach and touch even more people. And it's really given organizations an opportunity to, to really get their message out in a way that they otherwise previously weren't able to do. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And I think that that's where many organizations start to freak out because they're like, oh my gosh, I've got to move all my stuff online when I'm used to physical events. And, and you have gone through the exact same thing, right? Like you had all these events booked out. I did. I did. <laughs> I had, I had five client events all scheduled in person before the end of May. And literally within a three to five hour period, I heard from every single one of them saying, I either want to cancel or I want to postpone. And for the majority of them, we postponed the event, but we pivoted the format of it to virtual as well. So they already had them scheduled. People already had the dates blocked out. We wanted to keep that momentum alive. So we took a, a we, we revised the format of their event and created a virtual event as well. So it gives them the opportunity to one, people still know that their ticket is there and you know they can join us in person when we resume that. But at the same time, it gave them the opportunity to one, again, expand their reach among more people, but also keep delivering value to their community and keep their message top of mind. Perfect. So, okay, if you don't mind, fill us in, how did you add the virtual on top of the already scheduled event? How did that look like for your, for your clients? So for a lot of them, you know, they already had the speakers confirmed. So we just reached out to the speakers and told them that, you know, we still want them to speak at our in-person event if the dates work for them, but we would love to feature them on our virtual event as well. Almost every speaker was willing to do that because again, it gives them that broader reach. I think you're probably sensing a theme here. And so we had them, you know, with virtual, it's very different than in-person. You really have to be strategic in the way that you create your program because you, 
when you're on stage, you have a captive audience. When you're virtual, they're not necessarily captive. They're behind a screen. It's very easy to multitask. And the attention span is not nearly the same as it is when you're in person. So we, we combined a lot of them into panels that kept it very interactive and engaging. And then we had other ones just do a shorter version of their session or one component of their session as a highlight. So not only were we still delivering that value, we also gained marketing materials to promote the in-person event with kind of sneak peeks of what they're going to be seeing, what the type of content is. And then we also did a lot of, you know, obviously modifying the agenda, modifying the way that they were speaking, but we worked in some engagement activities. So intentional hot seats, intentional Q and A's and definitely did breakout sessions. And for some of them, we added an upgraded ticket price that was for kind of that VIP ticket. So obviously with the VIP, you would get all of the recordings, but what that also included was a lunch or a mastermind or some sort of private event where they literally got to be in a room with the speaker, which is something that you would never have. I mean, you're, you're obviously in the room with the speaker at an in-person event, but being 18 inches away in a Zoom room with less people having the opportunity to really talk to that speaker provided a tremendous amount of value to the attendees. So cool. Well, and I want to make sure that people can hear too, that it's, you're not talking about crazy technology for this. You're talking about using Zoom, which is ultimately what you and I are talking on right now to record this interview. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of technologies that integrate with Zoom that you can really level up the type of experience. But I mean, it is as simple as using Zoom. You are the only Zoom limitations are the amount of attendees that you have. And even with that, you can, there are definitely ways to work around that and stream into multiple Zoom rooms and and things like that. So I I say that's the only limitation, but really that's that's not the only limitation or that's not even a limitation because there are workarounds for that as well. Exactly, which I absolutely love. So, okay, I know people are going to be asking, do you charge the same for your virtual events or that virtual ticket as your live ticket? So that's a question that I get a lot. And it's definitely, you could look at it one of two ways. The first thing that I always say is you would never have an in-person event for free. Reason being, there's obviously overhead, but you are delivering value and people are paying for that value. The same thing stands true in a virtual event. So what I've done with virtual events is we have come up with various ticket tiers. So that allows you to have that, you know, when I just spoke about having a mastermind or a lunch or a private session with the speakers, it allows you to still offer a higher level of value at a, at a price point that is going to generate revenue for you, but you also can have those lower price points. A lot of virtual events are offering free and, you know, specifically for a lot of your listeners that are in the nonprofit space, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you want to get that word out. You're going to get more fundraisers. You're going to be, or you're going to be able to raise more, more money. Um, but at the same time, when you're doing that, you can limit that to where it's just a live stream on YouTube or it's a live stream on Facebook. And then people are paying to actually be in the zoom room, to be a part of those breakouts, to be a part of those conversations, to get the recordings, to get any speaker downloads. You, it's just a matter of setting a strategy for what you're pricing or setting a pricing strategy and then making each package really, really a no brainer, you know, depending on the level of engagement, the attendees want, there's a ticket price that will resonate with everyone. 
Really good. Well, and I thank you for sharing that, that just the variety of uh, ticket options, because yeah, most people who are moving their online or their in-person fundraiser over to an online experience, the intention of doing it in the first place was to raise money. <laughs> so, you know, so you don't want to eliminate the fundraising component to all of this. And, um, and back to what you just said is just having a strategy. And I know that many nonprofits are looking for, hey, we're just looking for awareness right now. We're new in the nonprofit sector. We're trying to get awareness. We just want people to show up so that they know about us and then eventually they can start to give to us. So I just want you guys to hear that, that you do have to know what you want <laughs> like ahead of time before you come in. And, and how, what are you seeing right now as far as are, are, you are seeing quite a few that are doing free events and then also adding in those experiences at a higher ticket price? Exactly. I am. I'm seeing the, the majority of the ones that I'm seeing for free are more along the lines of the, you know, Facebook challenges and, and things like that. Um, you know, I host an event every quarter about hosting online experiences and we do a free option and then the two ticket, the, the two upgrades. It's just important. Like you said, I always say that success starts with strategy so it's really important to understand one, who your target audience is and two, what are your main goals for the event? If it's just awareness, then yeah, absolutely. Definitely have a free option. It's going to build your email list, which is going to help you to continue to stay top of mind, but it is going to give you that visibility and build the awareness. At the same time, if your goal is two tier, you want to build awareness because now you have the opportunity to reach a larger audience, but you also have loyal followers and contributors then you have that upgraded ticket price. And, you know, I would imagine for a lot of your clients, a portion of the proceeds would go to benefit the organization that they're fundraising for. So, and in that space, you have the opportunity to charge a higher premium for your tickets because there is that philanthropic component to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the whole purpose of doing a fundraiser, right? You know, just in this whole, um, you know, just engaging people so that they'll give to the cause. And so I love that. What are you, I know that you work in both the for-profit and the nonprofit space, but what are you seeing that is being done really well by nonprofit leaders during this season that we've been walking through? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You know, what I've been seeing that is, has been done really well are number one, the nonprofits that are willing to take that leap. It can be scary, especially when you are thinking about in-person events that have silent auctions and different types of events, but there are ways to replicate that in the virtual space. And there's actually some really fun ways. We've done silent auctions. We've done online auctions. We've even done in-person auctions where everybody gets sent out a package ahead of time and they have their flag number and, and we're doing it that way. Um, so I think that creating the experience so that people, it's not just educational, right? Letting people know that this still is an interactive fundraiser and being intentional with the sessions that you're having and the different activities that you're doing. I've seen a lot of nonprofits working in having a yoga component or a trivia night or a, you know, a, a mixologist come and teach about mixing a drink, depending on what your cause is. There's been some that I've worked with that have actually creating something to send overseas or things like that, where there's an interactive session where people are actually doing an activity together. And then, you know, they, they get a pre prepaid stomped envelope to, to send out things like that. So I would say, and that was a long answer to a very short oh, question. 
That's it great. <laughs> experiences, making sure that it is not like the rest of the virtual or the majority of the virtual events where people are there, they're watching a video, and if they wanted to, they could just go on YouTube and watch something similar on their own time. So right. making sure that people are dialed into this is the time this is happening, and here's what you're going to get by being part of this event. I love that. And the thing that you are addressing here is the fact that they are engaged. They are, you know, totally, uh, they have to focus in on what's going on with this gathering versus being super distracted by the world that we live in. (laughs) Exactly. And I want to add one more thing to that. The nonprofits that I have worked with that have raised the most money, they all had one thing in common and on their registration pages, they had short videos of previous recipients of those funds sharing their story about what they were able to accomplish as a result, because that's what pulls at people's heartstrings. Mm -hmm. So those were definitely the top producing nonprofit fundraising events that, that I've been a part of were the ones that took the time to get those videos from the recipients. Really good. Well, and visuals uh, in general, I mean, yeah, actually give people an understanding of where their dollars are going and how it's making a difference. So good photos, good videos, obviously good content that you're going to be putting on those pages to let them know what they're going to get. But, um, but I do love that. That's, and and with video, it's super easy because you just reach out to them. Hey, can you hop on a quick 15 minute zoom call? You record the call, you ask the questions. It's not like you're sending them an email, asking them to record a video, to upload it, to send it. All you're asking is for 15 minutes of their time and you're having a zoom video chat and then you have your recording. Wendy, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Just debunking the like, oh, that this is going to be so hard and so overwhelming. And I think that what you're trying to say is don't overthink this, have a strategy, bring it back down to where, you know, what they have the capacity to do with the resources that they have. Is that correct? That's exactly accurate. Uh, Okay. You completely flipped everything over. I mean, for the most part, like you said, you're still doing in-person events where you can, um, but then moving a lot of things over to virtual. What did you... What did you do during all this? Because I mean, you didn't anticipate a pandemic and none of us, none of us did. Uh, but what did you do in that season of, oh goodness, all my events are canceling. Um, we're now going to move to virtual. How did you start learning to make that shift and, and working on your skills? So for me, I was very fortunate because I came from a technology background. My event planning for 15 years before that was for a technology company. So we did a lot of webinars, a lot of online sessions and things like that. Nothing to the level of what you're seeing in virtual events now. But from a technology standpoint, that was not a hurdle I had to overcome. Where I really focused my energy and attention was learning how to create those experiences. So the very first thing that I did, well, I'll say the very first thing I did was have a minor meltdown. Once I got over that meltdown and was like, I, you know, I'm a planner. And so it was really tough for me to just be reactive instead of proactive, but I knew that I had to get ahead of it. People were going to be pivoting. People were in a space where there was an immediate need to pivot those events. And I wanted to set myself apart in, it's not just taking orders. It's not just creating the backend tech, promoting the event, the marketing side of things. I wanted to create experiences. So I really focused on what are all the things that I love about in-person events Like I made a a sheet of paper and I divided it in two columns. What's everything that I love about in-person events? What things, if I think outside of the box, can I still accomplish 
the goal of why you do that in an in-person event, but in a different way. So I spent a lot of time brainstorming. I attended a ton of virtual events that other, you know, event organizations and training institutes and things like that were hosting and really focused on creating experience and engagement because that is the key differentiator. I'm sure all of your listeners have been to great virtual events and and maybe some not so great ones. And the ones I would venture to say, the ones that set it apart, that ones that set apart as great events are the ones where the attendee had some sort of experience where they felt like they were still making connections with other people and it was interactive for them. Now, you mentioned some really great ways to make that experience special, you know, with the speakers and having them in a private room and all that. Have you also dabbled into, and I've seen this by other uh, event planners who are, who are, you know, moving into the virtual space, but like actually sending out gift bags and kits and like things in the mail so that they receive them like food and whatever? Are yes. You, okay, yes. Okay, They're called, in the industry, we call them wow boxes. And those are awesome, especially when your attendees don't know they're going to get one. I mean, imagine a couple days before the event, you check your mail or there's a package delivered and it's a branded box. It's a great opportunity to promote your sponsors in there. And then there's things, whatever you're, you know, there's the, the basic swag stuff and the branded stuff, but you also can include fun things that people can incorporate as part of the event. So you know, think of like photo booth props or emoji props that people can hold up. That's going to encourage them to keep their video on because they have these things next to them that they can leverage. Everybody, I just did an event where we just sent out a box and we included the blue or the blue light blocking glasses. So during the event, it's not for a couple of weeks, we're going to have a screen where everybody's wearing these super cool branded glasses. And it's just going to make for a super cool experience, cool screenshots, post-event marketing, things like that. So the boxes are a great way to do it. And there's so many companies now that you can, it's a one-stop shop. You send them the list of your attendees and they take care of everything. So it, it's not, again, it's something that a lot of people will be like, oh, I got to get all those things. I have to buy the boxes. I have to package them. I have to mail them. But there are tons of services depending on what that price point is that'll do that for you. And again, it comes down to making intentional decisions about that, right? Like the blue light glasses, that was intentional. It wasn't, we're just going to send you a water bottle and a notebook. Not that those things are bad, but thinking about, how can what you're sending be incorporated into the virtual live event? Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, and you know, I have for many years taught on the signature fundraiser and, you know, I believe that every charity should have one thing that they do every year because I want to make sure that it's a reminder that, Oh, it's that time of year again. <laughs> you know, it's that time to give again. And I think that a lot of organizations have leaned on their events, you know, as that kind of, you know, thing that's on their calendar. And so what you're talking about is so great because it's like, don't cancel, you know, don't just completely nix that signature fundraiser, still prepare for it, still plan it and make it even bigger and better than maybe if it was in person. And do you have any thoughts or advice on if somebody does make that shift, what are some key things that they can be thinking about as they're, you know, making that change? Absolutely. That's a great question because it is so important, especially for these annual fundraising events to keep up with that consistency, to keep the momentum going. Think about if you've been doing this for five years, this is year six, you take a year off, 
you're going to fall back. You're going to have to gain that momentum again. And one of the things that is working really, really well, everybody is connected online, whether it's Facebook, whether it's LinkedIn, whatever your, you know, wherever your organization target audience is hanging out. What we've been doing is creating a private community. So when you purchase your ticket, you get to be part of a private community and leading up to the event during the event and after the event, everybody's engaging with everybody else. You know, you might have a leaderboard of donations, you have engaging posts, you might have a speaker pop on and do a quick little value add sort of a thing. And that's giving people that human connection that I think everybody is craving right now. But at the same time, that creates a platform that between each year, you can continue to be posting. You know, you just did something small regional, you can post on that. You just had somebody make a huge donation, you can post on that. And it's keeping you top of mind and front and center, not just that it's time to give again, it's time to give again. Yeah, you know, I, as I sit here and listen to you talk, I'm just like, I love your passion, Wendy. Like, <laughs> I love that. Like, you didn't just sit back and say, you know what? Oh, well, we're just going to hit pause. We'll pick our business back up when things get better again. And instead, you're like, no, <laughs> this is not going to happen that way. And I just, I so appreciate that. And I hope that everybody can hear that because there is no reason to shut your nonprofit down. And just like you said, if you shut down for one year, it is, you have all this momentum from last year going. And now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of like, you got to start from scratch again, if you were to hit pause and to not keep going on this. And, and I feel like, and I feel like now more than ever, which is why I'm so passionate about it. People need to hear this. People need to see good in the world. There's a lot of people that they feel helpless. They can't do anything and they want to give because that's something that makes them feel like they're helping, that they're involved in something good, something positive. And I, that was, that was one of my main things was even for, you know, I've been working with a lot of speakers who they're so used to speaking on other people's stages and they're reaching out saying, do you have any virtual events that I can speak on? And I'm able to, you know, enroll them in the idea of, no, listen to your message. You speak on this thing so well, people need to hear this and you can reach so many people now. So that was one of the main things that really just lit me up and propelled me to keep going because now more than ever, people need to hear these positive, uplifting stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and one thing that I remind people of is that I'm like, their money is still for the most part in their pocket. And I know that some people are struggling right now, but for, for the most part, people still, like you said, they want to be a part of something else and they still want to give. So this is a great way for them to do it. I did want to ask you, so let's just say that somebody is just getting started. I do tend to get a lot of listeners who are like, Hey, I'm just getting my 501c3 status. I'm just getting started. You know, if they're like, Hey, we don't even have a signature event yet. We've never even done an event. What would you recommend that they do just to get started on a first time virtual slash in-person event? If, if that's even possible for them, what would you do to, to just get something off the ground? It's definitely possible. And the beautiful part about it is that it's the perfect way to dip your toe into the event space. You don't have nearly the financial risk that you would have of an in-person event. And although there's still a lot of work that goes into it, I'm not, I'm not, you know, minimizing the amount of work, but you, you get two things out of it. One, you're growing that reach, you're creating, you know, everything that we already spoke about, but you're also laying the foundation for that in-person event when you're ready to do it. So 
I think the main thing on getting started, and I said this earlier, is strategy. You have to know who you serve and what is the outcome that's going to benefit, you know, how is that going to be a benefit? And specifically for the nonprofit space, what are all of, all of the funds that are raised? What is that going to do to make the world better? The whatever you're, you know, whoever you're serving, how is that beneficial? It's really important in your messaging to tug at people's heartstrings. Do not make it all about your organization and what you do and all of that. It's about what is this event going to be? What are you going to experience as an attendee? And what is the, for what purpose is the greater good? So I would say that's, that's really before you even get started, you have to be super dialed in on that message. And then from there, I mean, it's just a matter of being, and, and I learned this as an entrepreneur, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It, it's going to be scary. It's, there's going to be challenges but at the end of the day, as long as you're remembering your why, you can work through all of that and you come out so much stronger on the other side. And for nonprofits specifically, think about if you can impact one life or one community or one organization, then all of your effort was worth it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I cannot tell you how many events that I've put on that where we raised no money because we had so much overhead and so much expense that went into it up front. And so I cannot agree with you more that this is a great way to dip your toe in the water, start engaging with new prospective donors. And yeah, and if it fails, oh well. <laughs> well, and especially right. in the nonprofit space and virtual, if you have that compelling message, chances are you can find a graphic designer who's willing to do it pro bono. You can find somebody who does social media ads that is willing to do that pro bono or for a drastically discounted price. Like I offer all of my nonprofit clients 15 to 20% off regardless, or, you know, just regardless and depending on their event, because it does it gives me that sense of purpose and I want to come from a place of service. So it also is, you know, while yes, there's many components that you can outsource and that you can pay for in the nonprofit space, you have the unique opportunity to get that at a discounted, if not pro bono rate. Yeah. So good. Well, and right now as people are, you know, thinking about going into this space or, you know, working with someone, I wanted to give you an opportunity just to share a little bit about your business and how you guys come alongside these nonprofit organizations. What are you doing right now as a business to, to help the nonprofit industry? So, you know, I, when this whole thing, this whole thing, when COVID hit, there was so much uncertainty. There was so much scarcity. And I wanted to create a solution that met people where they're at. You know, so many event planners, it's package A, package B, package C. And I don't, I personally hate buying things that I don't need. So I like to meet my clients where they're at. So I, I created one is just a very simple do-it-yourself virtual event toolkit. It walks you through every single step you need to take. It starts with that clarity, that, that strategy that we talked about, asking questions that you work through in the workbook that bring all of that information to light so you are clear on what you're doing. And then it walks you through everything, how to get speakers, how to get sponsors, how to build your registration page, how to market, what are your email messages. And it includes pre-written social media posts, pre-written emails, all that sort of thing. So for the organization that really is, you know, not ready to make an investment. They have the resources, the volunteers to do it themselves for $197.
you can save all of your time looking through countless blogs and figuring out what works and what doesn't and just follow through the workbook and the toolkit. So that's kind of that, that easy, you know, do it yourself solution. Also have a membership group that is helping people to, you know, slowly learn the process as they're ready. And then I also just do basic strategy or done for you services. So I have a lot of clients that they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they need. So they're not ready to make an investment in a virtual event planner. So they purchase a chunk of hours and we talk through it and we help get clear. And then they're able to say, you know what, I really need help with creating a sponsorship prospectus, or I really need help with, I don't know what a registration page should look like, or I really need help with the backend technology. And then it's like, okay, let me step in and fill that gap for you. And you're able to handle everything else that you're comfortable handling. So it's really that, what do you need and how can I support you in a way that's going to serve you the best? Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that there are links in the show notes to how people can get in touch with you and to start to have a conversation. Cause I know sometimes it's just overwhelming and people are like, it sure would be nice if I had a Wendy in my life. <laughs> that Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll send you a link to my calendar call. I am happy to hop on a 30 minute strategy call at no charge to anybody who's listening in on this podcast. And maybe they're not sure, or maybe they're in the midst of doing something and they just want 30 minutes to talk with an expert and get some advice, I'm, I'm happy to do that. That is so awesome. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I know that that's going to be valuable for people. And, and then also just where's the best place for people to reach you or to follow the work that you're doing? So Facebook is really, you know, where I spend most of my time, Facebook and LinkedIn. And it's Wendy Freeman. Wendy has an I at the end or bebrighteventsco.com. And I'll send you a link to all of my different, you know, I'll send you a link to the workbook that I was just talking about. I started another website that is thevirtualeventexperts.com. That one's really focused all on the virtual event space. But I mean, really it's, you know, you can find me on social, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and everything's connected and, and it's super easy. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to have, yeah, all those links in the show notes so that you guys have access to it. And one of the questions that I'd like to wrap with is just the, this is the fundraising freedom podcast. And so I'm always curious, what is your definition of fundraising freedom? What does that mean to you? That's a great question. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> well, just freedom in general. I think people have a good grasp on like, oh, what would freedom look like? Or what would fundraising freedom look like for another? I mean, I think, I think a part of freedom comes down to security being in a place where you feel secure enough to go after what you want. You know, so many people talk about financial freedom and just freedom in general. And I know for me, it comes down to, it's not about financial freedom. It's about what is, what is the end goal? What am I trying to accomplish and how can I do that? And for me, it comes down to a place I think of security. When I feel secure, I'm willing to take more risks. When I feel secure, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. When I feel secure, I am going to, be the person that I need to be in order to accomplish whatever it is that I'm trying to accomplish. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one, one thing that always comes to mind for me when it comes to our listeners is that so many of them have such big dreams 
you know, they've got big visions for the work that they're doing. And so every day they're raising those funds so that they can fulfill the mission that they've been called to do. And, and I believe that the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, and so many other people who are in this industry is that we're trying to make, you know, things a little bit easier so that you can get to those goals and, and get to that place. So on that note, uh, do you have any parting advice for people as they launch out into this virtual event space or just nonprofit work in general? I just encourage everybody to remember, especially for your listeners, remember your why. Why did you start this foundation? Why are you doing this? And use that as your momentum to move you forward. A lot of people, they either, it's the away from or the toward motivation. So you always want to be moving toward because that's how you're going to keep that momentum. So do the things that you might not want to do resource up, level up, you know, ask for help when you need help and use that why as your momentum. So good. All right. On that note, <laughs> and no pressure, guys, you definitely need to consider a, a virtual event and just modifying the work that you're doing. And I think Wendy gave us some really, really great advice today. So I hope you guys do reach out to Wendy, that you do reach out and check out the work that she's doing and that do-it-yourself toolkit. I mean, 195 bucks. All right. Tell me how I need to do an event. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but thank you, Wendy. I appreciate you so much. And guys, Let's go change the world one volunteer and one dollar at a time.